Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Treknababble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And we are going to be starting Deep Space Nine Season 5 tonight with uh, its season premiere, Apocalypse Rising. Uh, I'm excited. It's obviously been a, a few months since we looked at Deep Space Nine because we were doing Season 2 of Voyager. And uh, uh, this is, I think, uh, a good season of Deep Space Nine coming up. Uh, it's definitely uh, leaving the doldrums of Seasons 1 and 2 behind, so I'm excited to uh, dive into it. Yeah, you know, the Dominion was such a cool sort of nemesis. Uh, when was it introduced? In season three? Yeah, just toward the end. Uh, I think there were like conscious name dropping in season two. Yeah. No, it was the end of season two because that was that was Jem'Hadar because the opening of season three was the search. Yeah, and so then they kind of like did nothing with it for a long time. Uh, and season four, in some ways, was kind of like a detour. You know, it was all about the Klingons. And not really so much about the Dominion. Um, I, that's not to say it wasn't about it at all. I mean, there was obviously the you know, attempted attack on the founder. No, wait a minute. <laughs> Which season was that? Uh, the Klingons the attempt, come in in season attempted four. Attempted destruction of the Great Link. Yeah. <clears throat> that really didn't have the Klingons involved at all. No, yeah, that was... So yeah, the Klingons, I guess, did seem like kind of a, a detour. A fun detour, of course, because we like Worf... I think both you and I thought he was a reasonably good addition to the show, um, and they told some pretty decent Klingon stories. Uh, but, you know, it's like, it's a big thread to be left hanging, uh, and I'm glad they got back to weaving it in. Um, you know, in looking at the uh, sort of background information, it's obvious that uh, Iris Stephen Bear and Ron Moore are sort of the big uh, creative lights now. You know, like Michael Pillar has kind of moved on. He's he's working on Voyager more. Uh, you know, so it's kind of like their baby. And so would you say, I mean, where would you say it, would you say season four is where it becomes what people love about Deep Space Nine? Yeah, I, I think the tonal shift we identified in uh, from like Way of the Warrior forward is I think cl- more clearly the work of um, Bear and Moore and uh, Michael Pillar's clearly not there like making sure they do you know the same you know big A little B story like they would on Next Gen and like I think they largely do on Voyager so uh, yeah I-, I think season four represents uh, the the point in which it changes I think the refocus on season five is uh on the dominion is for the best and uh the way they work in the klingons is pretty interesting so well yeah i mean so in some ways season four seems transitional like it it shifts the tone but it doesn't set the direction in some ways whereas seasons five six and seven become sort of the serial deep space nine stuff yeah i think the serialized storytelling definitely takes a bigger hold in uh in season five than it did in season four season four is still i think a lot of is still standalone stories and um yeah i think we both said the what deep space nine eventually does with serialized storytelling is you know it's what it does you know it's what it's best at and it's where it's it's most interesting well and this will be a conversation for the future but it's uh very weird that they were able to do it here 
and yet we're not able to do it in enterprise, even though several people high up in the enterprise creative staff wanted to do DS9 style serial storytelling. Uh, I guess it has something to do with, you know, maybe they had a bit more carte blanche because they were just coming off of the sort of fabulous success of TNG, you know, that like they had less pressure. Uh, and oddly, I, I think the brass moving to, uh, you know, like Pillar and Taylor moving to focus on Voyager kind of left them, you know, I've, I've made the analogy to my, you know, uh, in regards to my own life several times that Do Space Nine is kind of like the teenage Star Trek where it's like, it's kind of awkward and moody and dark at places. And it kind of like, yeah, you're just off in your room doing God knows what while we're with the, you know, we're paying attention to the, to the younger kids. So I wonder if that was part of it too, at some point, um, just Michael Piller um, and Rick Bourbon focusing on other things left uh, Ron Moore and Iris Stephen Bear with just the, you know, latitude to do a lot of this stuff. All right. Well, why don't we get started? Okay. I'm queued up. Yep. Everybody should get ready. And we will all press play simultaneously in three, two, one, press play. So we are starting with a last time. And, uh, you know, we're recapping the story. Odo has been made sick. Um, so he has to go seek out the Great Link in the hopes that they can cure him, I guess. Um, we find out it's his sentence for killing a changeling. He's going to be cursed with being human. I really, the, the nude Odo stuff just unsettles me. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's the hairless yeah, aspect. It's, I think it's, it's it's like the uncanny valley. It's like a Ken doll. It's like something's very off about it. Yeah, they did something really, I don't, yeah, I don't know. They shaved him. I, I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> so now we get the big sort of season ending, you know, twist, which was Odo senses other changelings doing and saying and hiding things. And it seems like a very vague thing, but he has a notion that Gowron is a changeling. Now, you know, I hope it's not a spoiler, but Gowron's not a changeling, everybody. Uh, you know, they're going to find someone else to be the changeling. And to me, that kind of really struck me uh, as a, a course correction, not as something that they planned at the end of last season, uh, which is going to be uh, returned to in a very disturbing way uh, near the end of Battlestar Galactica, also by Ron D. Moore. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I wonder, you know, I, I wonder if Ron Moore has talked about it. Did he always mean to have the fake out? about Gowron, was it just like fans wouldn't accept that, you know, the real Gowron was dead or something, you know, like that, that's an interesting question. Well, um, you know, in the memory alpha stuff, uh, it says, according to the DS9 companion, it was more who suggested making Martok rather than Gowron be the changeling. So as not to upset TNG fans, it was felt at this time that revealing Martok would give the episode a nice unexpected twist. Um, 
So I feel like they made the decision during the writing of this episode. Yeah, I, I'll say, I mean, I get we can talk about it once the twist actually happens, but I, I remember being genuinely surprised by the twist. The entire episode operates under the unquestioned belief that Galron is a changeling. So, you know, <coughs> minute 40 having that question, that's a twist worthy of a Law & Order episode. I wonder if that's a reuse. I think it I think it will be a reuse. Like that looks very similar. I memory serves to was it things past when they're all in like Odo's vision. Um, what was I going to say? Is this a new hairdo for? Oh, she's pregnant. You can totally see it. Yeah. Well, (laughs) happily they're not hiding it. Uh, Whatever issues we may have with that storyline, the fact that we don't have to have her hiding behind house plants for the next four months is is fine with me. Um. We've talked. We talked about this at the with the adversary, especially for Deep Space Nine, um, and really Star Trek as a whole. After <coughs> Best of Both Worlds, I think the best season enders are ones that don't dictate the next five minutes of the of the new season's episode. Like, there's a lot of places they could have taken Galron, maybe a changeling, and I like the episode we get, but it's not like you know, Mister Worf, fire, where the next scene is clearly going to be you know, the continuation of that moment, I think it keeps, it, it frees things up. <coughs> and, uh, cause if, if best of both worlds part two has a sin, it's that they were kind of painted into a corner. So I'm, uh, certainly ha- I enjoy the little more latitude. The, the two things about the twist here that nag me more generally is that the, the, the link itself is always painted as this, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, incomprehensible union of form and thought or something. So it seems odd that they could hide anything from him at all, or that they could also deceive him in some way. Like that seems to belie the stated (coughs) nature of the link, which I suppose I'm fine with if it's, you know, if the glory of the link is a little more PR than reality, that would actually make perfect sense. Given what we know about the founders, I just would have liked that cleaned up. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like one of these story ideas that's like, well, we got to explain something. Oh, well, it's just a great link, you know. Uh, just like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's the cue. It's just one of those things where they can just make it do whatever they need it to do. Yeah, and uh, I, I'll also say, um, right from this teaser, I do <coughs> wonder, why is Cisco going? They, like... Every time they have a Starfleet, uh, uh, a like title character doing something that a specialized commando should go be doing, I understand. If Cisco came back and said a crack team who you'll never meet is going to go handle this problem, that would be narratively boring. But it is a little narratively inconsistent to suggest that the captain of this very important space station should go on what is almost certainly a suicide mission when there have to be, not to sound callous, but more dispensable. <coughs> And better, you know, more trained, more on point for this kind of work. Yeah, I mean, it's the same problem that Chain of Command yeah, had. Like, right? I love Miles Edward O'Brien. We all do. But he's not a commando. He's a pudgy, middle-aged Irish father. And I try to picture my middle-aged, now, you know, getting to senior citizen Irish father going on a commando mission, and it just doesn't work. So it's nice to see Quark. I like his basic take on war. It's, you know, bad for business and it irritates him. 
I will say I like the episode's emotional <coughs> follow-up um, to Odo's transformation. They didn't ignore it, which is good. Yeah. Um, I also like the uh, wh- whatever the writ is that bars Quark from doing business with other Ferengi. It's just d- tucked there in the background. That's a nice uh, design touch and uh, uh, good work for the uh, prop guys. So... I totally had it. I totally had a set of those glasses when I was in college. I think they eventually got lost in a move, and that made me sad. Well, my parents have basically those glasses. Oh, uh, you were saying? Well, I, I just why not unshackle Odo from sorry Rene Abergenois from the makeup? You know, I feel like that would have been more interesting for we the viewers. To see him, I mean, because the one or two times they actually do it, it's so interesting. And, and you know? he's a he's a great character actor, and he has a very expressive face. Like uh, um, the few times you do get to see him without makeup, it is it's jarring almost. Um, well, I mean, I've never liked the auto makeup. You know, it's never impressed me. Um, and so I just I kind of wish that they would have done away with it for at least as long as this uh, change takes i wonder what beer they're drinking some lager you know yeah i mean it looks just like budweiser yeah yeah i i really hope that since i hope it's a michelob basically at least yeah um i i like that they at least gave a story reason um for why his makeup would not change and i'm guessing maybe there was like a since it would be too jarring in continuity for a casual viewer, like they wouldn't, re- like maybe the people wouldn't realize it was Odo. I don't know. I, I, I take your point, and it would have been an interesting choice to make. I'm not bothered per se that they didn't do that. So Cisco is going on this death mission, and Odo is the guy he needs. Um, Odo says, I'm no longer a changeling, I'm useless. This is a story beat we've seen with Counselor Troy. I was, I was about to say that. Um, I will say, I, I liked, if this story... Uh, if, and Data. Yeah, the episode for Odo um, is interesting here, but if it falls short using the Troy episode as a comparison, I think the loss actually did a good job of showing Counselor Troy being competent without her... Uh, telepathic abilities like she learned how to navigate a situation and rely on herself in that way um and i don't think that happens here there's i i suppose the scene with uh martok shows him being you know deductive in things but it doesn't have that same like oomph for me i find it weird that chief o'brien is like being cool over on the wall I assume they're just doing that for visual interest. Yeah. But, it, it, like, can you imagine, you know, like, Jordy just hanging out over by the window while everyone else is talking at the table? Yeah. Ugh, the blood screenings. The blood screenings have never worked. <laughs> Ever. Not a little. I as a as a kid, I liked the line that their orders were to expose, not assassinate him. That felt like a very Federation thing to do. 
Oh, gadgets. They look like little Death Stars. They like, do indeed. Like, I really wonder if they just bought four tiny Death Stars and painted them gold. Very impressive. What are they? Ooh, this is a hair... You know, maybe it's just the DVD quality scan of this. I never noticed the complicated frou-frou going on in the back of Dax's hair this episode. There's, like, braids and twists and stuff, and it's not... Exi- that ponytail is the flattering look for her, and they should just stick with it. Yeah, she has, like, a bump it or something. It's good uh, Okudograms on the... Uh, on the polar. Oh, definitely. This is one of the better ones they've had on this show, easily. Twelve thousand cubic meters. That's a lot. That's a big room. Oh, Worf. Always bringing it back to honor. The Polaron devices are like one tier too many MacGuffins for me. You know, it's like, could they be any more complicated? And like, it's almost like the designer set out to make them as difficult to use as possible for their stated purpose. Like, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, so <laughs> here's called a cat, uh, his uniform looks like it's grown three sizes since his... Uh, what's his rank now? Well, he's just on the run. He's a, he's a mercenary. I guess not mercenary. I've oh, re- he's been collecting trophies from Klingons? Yeah, I, li- I, I like that. And you can see it's like the uh, spinal piece of a Klingon uniform, obviously a sash. Like it's That's, that's nicely done. I always thought the promenade was too carpeted and nice looking. The camera work seems different this season. Like, do you get, like, just in this scene here, it's like, uh, it doesn't well, feel this like... this is a steady cam. Yeah. They're doing it so they can follow him into the room, I guess. Um, I, I remember reading an interview with Avery Brooks, I think before this season, I think it was toward the beginning of the show, uh, that one of the things um, that uh, he liked about being cast for the part uh, of Captain Sisko is that uh, in Star Trek's history, um, actors of color, particularly men, tend to be cast as aliens with, you know, the heavy makeup. So he was happy to be just a human uh, on the show. So I always wondered how he felt about uh, having to wear all the makeup for this episode. I assume at this point he's established. They, I, they yeah. enjoyed the fun of it. Um, I'm always reminded of a uh, of uh, the scene in Star Trek Six with Colonel West because it obviously looks very similar. Ah, and here's Tamar. Yeah, that was a deep seating there. Like they <laughs> they said, we have stuff planned for you and. T- they didn't really reveal it yet here either, but uh, I'm glad he stuck around. <laughs> well, so it's clear that this episode is really... I could imagine a lot of people just starting a DS9 watch through and just doing 5 through 7, you know, starting with this episode. Because it, it 
it really sort of gets the ball rolling on the main plot. And uh, and uh, their exposition handling is good. It's not it's not uh, opaque. It's not needlessly opaque, and it's not clunky either. So you know we're getting the notes we need to either remind us or get us what we need to get through the episode. It seems as though O'Brien is the one being tasked with a lot of it. You know, in that boardroom scene, he had kind of like a, and now I'm going to sum it up for everyone. And he just did it again. Yeah, right? I was thinking that scene in Spaceballs when they recap the plan to steal the air, and then Rick Moranis looks at the camera and goes, everybody got everybody that? Everybody got that? Yeah. <laughs> So, like, how do they know? I, I mean, <coughs> look, we have a president, yeah? Yes. And our president does do things, but generally speaking, they don't, like, announce all of his itinerary in complete detail, you know, to everybody so that everybody can figure it out. And it, I just, I question, I, granted, there's Starfleet intelligence and, yeah. Well, yeah. If this I were if, if this were like the you know the Kennedy Center honors, you might with a little more certitude certainty know where the leader was going to be. I do like this scene, this little uh, joke here. This is your fault. The, it's a nod to the fact that that is uh, Alexander yeah. Siddiq's child she's carrying. <laughs> it's a good scene. The, the the comedy timing is good. Well, it seems clear that they have uh, romantic chemistry. You know, I would have believed a romance between Kira and Bashir more than Kira and Odo. Uh, yeah. Like you annoying. Like they could have. They could have done a classic, like uh, uh, Hepburn Trace, Tracy. Tracy Hepburn. Yeah, 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 just like I. I hate you, but that's why I'm attracted to you. That could have totally worked. <laughs> it would not only have totally worked it would have been a billion times better billion with a b times better <laughs> than kira odo alvarian dung beetle my goodness see i like these scenes because they don't completely resolve for me but they at least you know hang the lantern on the problem of you can't just put on the makeup and expect to slip i mean even assuming they can all speak fluent Klingon all of a sudden without the aid of the Universal Translator, a point we will not be discussing in this episode, yeah. <laughs> um, I always wonder, like, I think even if I adopted a, like, flawless, you know, British accent or could speak French fluently like a native, there would be a dozen other ways I would give away the fact that I was an American, even if the person who was talking to me couldn't articulate them, like the, you know, the way I sit or the hand gestures or just the, just little stuff that would give away that I am not a native part of this culture would have to raise, especially on the species level, would have to raise some red flags. Yeah. Well, and I feel like Odo's thing. It's just a little too much for the character. Yeah. Like, you know, sulking, you know, like having his head hang down. It, it's just, it's a little too much. It, it makes me lose respect for the character. And I just, 
he's accustomed to changing shape and impersonating things yeah. and people. This should not be foreign to him. Like I'm, I'm okay with him having some misgivings, uh, like maybe an aside like this, but I just I, I don't picture him doing this stuff during, you know, a mission or yeah. you know, around other people. Do you see what I'm saying? No, I, I agree. I think they notched it up one step too high. Yeah, they're just telegraphing it too much. You know, this scene would have been enough. They didn't have to have him sort of sulking and looking weird earlier. Yeah. It's so weird given how, especially because I, you know, like a season ago, we got used to seeing the man bald. Um, under the makeup, it's really shocking how different he looks. Like the, the like just the way the makeup refocuses. Like Michael Dorn, I feel maybe it's because they spent longer crafting the makeup for him over the years, and this was obviously like a one-time thing for Cisco. But you look at Michael Dorn, and you see Michael Dorn without the makeup, and you can just see Worf. Like it's not as hard. It's very, it's almost jarring. Like just the way the makeup refocuses, like eyes and cheekbones and stuff. I love the Klingon bridge. I can't. I really hope they do Blu-rays of Deep Space Nine because this scene would look gorgeous. I just wonder what kind of filter they're using and what it's supposed to indicate. It's like, is there steam? On is it like bo? Like what? What's the deal with the, you know, the hazy Klingon atmosphere? Okay, that's still not my favorite explosion style where the ship just disappears behind an explosion, but at least it, it was well done for the for that class of effect. Yeah. It's little choices like these that always that make Deep Space 9 interesting for me. E- even on this mission to, you know, stop the war with the Klingons um, and consciously choosing to do so in a way with a minimum of bloodshed. Um, there's still this kind of stuff that happens. That It's that kind of murkiness uh, that makes Deep Space Nine storytelling interesting for me because Cisco is a unwitting accessory to murder, but that doesn't make him not one. Um, this mission is still happening at his behest. So I, th- it's that kind of stuff that makes these stories really engaging for me. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I think having Ducat be the guy who has a Klingon bird of prey, you know, I mean, it's it's good continuity weaving, but they're also letting Ducat be Ducat, you know? Yeah, yeah. They're not just having him be a, a you know, an errand boy. Uh, and that's good character writing, you know? It's yeah. good when you let the characters dictate the plot instead of the plot and say, well, we'll, we'll use this character, but... It could just as well have been some other guy with the bird of prey. You know? Right, right. So that's good writing. And, you know, Ron Moore and Iris Stephen Bear both seem to have uh, established their bona fides as far as uh, writing consistent characters and having them act in character in given situations. I, you know, 
this is the 24th century. It seems like identification should be. Yeah, it, it it's that uh, it's like when they have the stolen Jem'Hadar ship or something. It's always like the bad guys don't name their ships in any obvious way, like with hallmarking. So there's so you somehow it's it's actually possible to uh, sneak around. Yeah, it, you'd think. Well, before... and here is a ceremony with the you know the leader of yeah. an empire, yeah. right? If you were having a ceremony with the president and he were giving you a medal, you know, at the Kennedy Center. You'd have to go through a metal detector. And well, they'd check ID. to see yeah. that you are who you are, you know. And if you were Joe most son of whoever, you know, it's like you'd have like your driver's license at least. And, and, and you know, a, a quick piece of dialogue of them showing that ID would have would have sufficed. But just the uh, yeah, it, it would it would have been a. Well, I mean, touch. if they're if they're so you know rabid about blood testing, it seems like they would be so paranoid about you know personal identity, right? Yeah. <laughs> I do enjoy watching both O'Brien and Odo try to be you know like Fantastic. jovial clans. Yeah. yeah. And they do a good job of not doing a good job of it. Hey, it's Jake. I remember him. <coughs> He's being all writerly, observing stuff. He really should be sitting in a cafe, smoking a cigarette, maybe drinking coffee. I gotta say, this is his best outfit in the series. Yeah, that looks like, you know, pair that with a you know different pair of pants. That could be a that could be a shirt that a actual person would choose to wear. So they've got uh, Bashir with sort of a, I don't know what you'd call that, uh, moosey sweep hairdo. Mm. Yeah, it's not the it's not the same haircut he had the first few seasons. See, Kevin, the reason he's going is that he's so good at his job. You know, this job of impersonating a completely alien culture. And I don't know. It's got sort of like leatherette touches. It's pretty nice. I always wanted one. Everybody be careful. Somebody spiked the blood wine. Yeah. I always wanted uh, one of those uh, Klingon like cups, like the one that uh, Kim Peck had. If they ever sold a set of those, I would absolutely buy them. Okay, how does he know the Benzite's name? I ripped the breathing tubes from his head. Ah, uh, Trek Fu at its finest. Yeah. I know what you're thinking, Matt. He's not actually a Klingon. It shouldn't have been that easy for him to drop, you know, a species established again and again as physically superior, but here we are. Well, actually, my bigger problem is why make yourself that conspicuous? You know? You know, why call attention to yourself if you're trying to blend in? You know, they could just uh, mess with each other in a way that looks convincing, but not actually mess with anybody else. Yeah. Well, I think that was supposed to be him losing his cool for 
the obvious reasons, but no, he was upset that a Starfleet, you know, sure. I, I get the, the, the idea. It just seems kind of risky. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, the point that you mentioned, which of course I was thinking of is what if he just gets his ass killed by right. someone who's twice as strong as he right. is? Those are big cups. Yeah. Okay, when I first saw this episode, I swear to God, I thought the disappearing blood wine was supposed to indicate that part of the blood blood wine was a changeling hiding. I didn't understand (laughs) it was supposed to indicate the passage of time. I don't think I should be entirely blamed for that. I think that was a quasi-reasonable inference. Hmm. No, I I never thought about that. Ah, they took an anti-intoxicant. Yeah. <laughs> this feels more, uh, you know, just risky. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, <clears throat> you're the guy, I just, yeah. Also, are they speaking to each other in English? Yeah, they they never quite. Hey, I. Why did Worf say they're called the Yannis Leth so Dax could say the Brotherhood of the Sword? Why wouldn't it just come out of Worf's mouth as they're called the Brotherhood of the Sword? Well, I mean, my issue is, you know, they're talking about like I was the head of the academy wrestling team. You know, it's like, should you really be saying that stuff out loud? It's... These guys suck at being undercover agents, basically. Yeah. You, you, you always have to be in character. Yeah. And, you know, they're just, like, having asides. So Martok had an appearance... Um, Was it at the end of the previous season? Uh, start of the previous season. It was uh, yeah. way, way of the Warrior. So it's nice that he's being brought back. And I love the actor. He's he's one of my favorite uh, guest actors. Well, and that's what they say here. That you know, it's like they sort of changed the story around to protect the Gowron character, and ended up you know killing quote unquote the Martok character. But you know, to their credit, realized what they had and. I like this scene. It's tension-filled. It works well, but it should have been with Cisco. There is really no reason Martok should recognize O'Brien through the makeup. The name is not familiar to me. Show me your ID. Let me draw your blood. Mempa. That, that is that is a nice piece of continuity because the Mempa sector is mentioned several times in uh, Redemption. Mm-hmm. it's the little touches like that like it's a pointless continuity thing because it doesn't really make a difference what you know fake battle o'brien invents but it, it to the to the longtime fan and to the fans like us who have watched these things dozens of times it's like oh i know that that's awesome well done well done ron yeah I, i'm an inch closer to forgiving you for the back half of battlestar galactica I just can't believe anybody would believe that O'Brien is a Klingon, you know, just based on the way he behaved just now. He seems like a big wuss Klingon. 
I mean, even that could have been an interesting aspect because I think Dax just uh, later on in the in the series, there's a bit where Dax kind of explains, you know, Klingons are are diverse people. There's brave ones and cowardly ones, and you know, these things are in plain view. Yeah, that's really really bad. Thank God these huge statues, which by the way awesome statues dude like the you're sure. like i assume dan curry was responsible for these and he nailed it like well they it, look like they're foam core sculptures but they're well done yeah. well painted yeah they look like they should uh be in like like valhalla or you know like lord of the rings or something so Otto has lost his little doohickey. I don't see why the doohickeys couldn't just be on their person. Right, why not just stand in the four corners of the room? It's nice improvisation by Worf. Yeah, yeah Worf can go into cover, just, just none of the rest of them. Well, it makes sense that Worf would be able to, you know, yeah. My question, though, is don't people recognize Worf as Worf? Yeah, they didn't do a whole lot to make him not look like Worf. No, I mean, if anybody were watching this, they'd be like, oh, yeah, there's Worf. Especially Gowron. Yeah. They should have given him a scar, a haircut. Well, I think they did know? give him a little scar, but, like, not a lot. Like, they didn't change. If they changed... They should have, the- like... You know, burned off half his face. Yeah, yeah, like if they changed the crest, they didn't do so in a way that make that would be relevant to us. Anyhow, you would think that like these guys would be searched for explosives or something. Given that it's the leader of the of the Klingon Empire, right? Yeah, you know, it- and they're. They're paranoid about changelings and then so on and so forth. Yeah, I'm going to say Robert O'Reilly is must. I, I would really love to see the man do Shakespeare. Like there's, he just tears into this, you know, martial stuff with such zeal that it, it, you just completely buy the internal life of what he's selling. Sure. It's like, why does Odo even have to place the thing? He could just hold it. Yeah. He's standing there anyway. And so, like, I understand, you know, they have Batlas, it's the Order of the Batlas, whatever. You know, so they do have some weapons. Uh, but I, I still question that they would not be... Uh, searched yeah yeah i get that also plan b uh just uh you know hit him with a bathlet i mean even if you you don't have to kill him you just have to injure him enough to demonstrate that he is not what he appears to be yeah also why is there this complicated activation procedure which involves disassembling and reassembling and you know also, it doesn't make sense because it seems like all he has to do is hit the button. Just palm the thing, hit the button. I mean, if your mission's ready to go, your mission's ready to go. Do it. Just do it now. 
Okay, they have energy weapons. Like, maybe Klingon security is just really bad. Well, yeah, I get that there is a certain amount of laxity in a warrior culture. They're like, yeah, you know, bring it on, right? But they've suffered from poisonings and assassinations and, you know, That's a very Robert O'Reilly acting right there. Are these things magnetic? They have like sticky tape. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 3M uh, uh, Klingon uh, medallions. Also, why don't they all have remotes? Yeah. Like the one guy you want to send up there, the one guy who's going to have FaceTime, is the crucial guy to the plan. <coughs> and so now all that buildup for these effing devices, we get squat from it for the story. You know, like they should have turned the damn things on and found nobody. You know, or something. because Martok was out of the room, or something. Yeah, that would have would have been fine. I liked the little hand gesture that Cisco made when he said, sorry to disappoint you. It's like he, he's clearly going back to acting like Captain Cisco under the makeup, and it, that can't be easy given the amount of it. I like the lighting in the cell. There's like, it's like this very washed out <laughs> thing. It's, it's a very dramatically lit cell. Some if, uh, big spaces between the bars there. Yeah, if anyone has dramatic um, cell lighting, it's going to be the Klingons. Okay, I like this part of the episode. I like the plan within a plan, within a trap stuff. Um... And I think this bit is well done. Setting aside the um, MacGuffin problems of the polaronometers, I actually like like the Martok changeling quickly realizing that this is a chance to remove Galron without any hint of Dominion interference, and then assumably ascend to power himself is pretty good. Like that's clever. That's on. That is you know on your feet thinking, and that's that's fun. Yeah. So the setup was kind of hokey but these scenes are well-written for the characters. I agree with that. Yeah, I don't think Hertzler will quite nail the Martok character until he's actually, you know, the Martok character. Um, but I really like uh, this actor. He's just, he, especially, he has that same quality of uh, that, that Robert O'Reilly has of just, chucking yourself bodily into the part i want to see him do shakespeare too i mean can you see him giving one of like one of the i don't know anything from any of the henry's just you know rallying troops to war just he just so embodies it that it's just fun to watch oh yeah i mean i think i you know i like jg hertzler better than robert o'reilly because o'reilly can sometimes be a bit hammy whereas jg hertzler kind of does the the quiet, dark stuff. Yeah, it's like a simmer, not a boil. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that we really liked uh, Michael Ansara, you know, 
Yeah, yeah. There's a through line there. You can almost. I, I almost wonder if he like watched that as a as like for notes. Worst. Uh, it's nice to know that other security agencies have terrible guards. Well, granted, it is I, the general. Yeah, I get, they, I get that. I get it. They weren't expecting that. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a stranger where they're like, "Oh, hi, stranger. <laughs> let me let my guard down here." <laughs> that was well choreographed. Would that really kill them that quickly, though? Probably also, not. There's no blood on the knife. Yeah. And so, given the twist, this is clever. Okay, it, this is one of those moments that I had in Redemption where it's like, so really, anyone at any time can challenge the head of state to death, you know, trial, to, uh, combat to the death. Why not just have 10 guys go in it on, on one day? He'd just get tired. Like It seems like he'd do this all day, every day. Right, like I understand that maybe there has to be some like, cultural like it's one of those where even if you won you might still not get power because no one would give you power um or there has to be like some cultural sense that the act has been triggered but it still seems awfully easy to try to upset the apple cart like i I just finished uh for the second time it's a highly enjoyable podcast mike duncan's history of rome and that doesn't really work as a system and rome is the perfect example you can't just kill the leader every time you're unhappy that 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 We'll just leave you vulnerable to attacks by the Huns. I mean, I guess we can take it that maybe Garon would not accept all challenges. Challenges, yeah. You know, and so he wouldn't call off his guards. He might think that, you know, oh, this guy's a loser. It's okay. My only, qu- the only other problem I have here is why wouldn't Martok? Do why would that? he reveal himself? Right. He confirmed what he was. Like, I suppose you could pin it as he was so outraged at Odo personally because of the whole Odo thing that he lost his cool. But that still seems yeah. dicey. Yeah. And how he explodes. So, I mean, Odo got his sort of uh, redemption. You know, he's the guy who would notice such a distinction. Well, it's like we were talking about earlier. Like, the changeling whose job it is to impersonate Martok apparently gave himself away with a fairly straightforward tip that he didn't understand a fundamental cultural precept of Klingons. But these guys are supposed to do it, you know, with like two days training. Yeah. <clears throat> I wonder why they haven't taken off their makeup at this point. Well, I assumed it wasn't actually makeup. 
that there was at least some type of surgical alteration that simply couldn't be removed like a mask just for the yeah. yeah. And even this ending, I kind of like. Like, I think had Gowron been like, yeah, I guess you're right, war's over, that would have felt stupid. So Gowron being like, well, yeah, we can end the war if I can keep all the stuff I've already won. Like, that's a nuanced, mushy, complicated, politically real answer that lends the episode a little more tension and veracity. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know... So I, I agree that that's a nice bit of, I mean, really, it's a bit of realism. Yeah. You know, it's like even if uh, the U.S. and Russia, you know, came to some agreement, you know, that sort of smoothed things over, it would still involve a lot of messy stuff. Yeah. You know, border drawing, that kind of thing. Uh, how little Garon understands the writing staff. I, you know, to me, it seems like all of these other Klingons should have less respect for Garon now, because he was clearly bested in personal combat. Yeah, yeah. By Worf. They should have left Odo as a clan. <laughs> yeah, my old face will do very nicely, thank you. I, you know, okay. Like, he's used to it. I get that. But, I don't know. I, I wish they would have changed one thing. Like, give him a white streak in his hair. Something. <laughs> you know? Just so it's immediately visually obvious that this is non-changeling Odo. Well, don't worry. The this, the plot device is not going to last that long, so... <laughs> yeah. Well, that's for sure. Well, um... Hmm. I feel like the writing is a mixed bag. I think there's an awful lot of setup that didn't really go anywhere. Like, they could have gotten to the, this confrontation in a number of different ways. Ways that probably would have been more interesting. Um, I mean, on the one hand, I liked the Gul Dukat stuff. Yeah. But this whole setup with this, like, award ceremony. Like, can you imagine a less exciting thing than an award ceremony? Yeah. Um, I think it would have been more fun had they tried to, like, spin it inside. Like, so they have this information that leads, leads them to credibly believe Galron's a changeling. Manipulating the Empire from inside, giving that information to Gowron's political enemies to start a rumor campaign, would have been a morally gray thing to do given the Federation's non-interference policies, but a little more interesting and, po and a little more credible while we're on the subject. I feel like... Yeah. I feel like the Federation slash Starfleet model would be to try to just negotiate with Gowron, you know, say, Hey, we'd like to cease hostilities and cede all these territories to you, but we have to meet with you, you know, and then just do it there. Um, I don't know. So it, it yeah, the setup is too complicated. Yeah, it's creaky. Uh, yeah, I agree. 
Um, the character moments are solid, though, so I, I'm not overly upset. Um, yeah, I mean, the Odo story was a little obvious. You know, it's been done several times, you know, with uh, Troy, with Data, you know. It's like, person with power X loses power X and feels inadequate. But then, you know, redeems himself or herself you know, by doing something only they could have done before the episode is through. Um, I don't know. Uh, on the other hand, um, the actual political machinations, you know, with Martok and, and with Gowron, and you know, the conclusion, like you said, you know, those were pretty good. Um, I don't feel like we learned a whole lot about the Klingons, except that they really suck at securing you know, major events. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in some ways, the way that this martial culture is portrayed kind of makes them out to be buffoons. Um, there've been several scenes like this, you know, where it's like a drinking party where people headbutt each other. And, you know, Worf was the guy who was calling it out for being stupid. And he was right. You know, and now they're like having to go along with it. I, I don't know. Uh, I like the overall twist, even though it seems like a reversal, changing it from Gowron to Martak. You know, it was uh, clever and fun to watch and fun to see how all the different sort of angles worked out. I don't know. It's a mixed bag writing wise for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd give it a three on writing. Uh, yeah, I'll, I would say the acting's very good, uh, above average. Um, there are, yeah, I mean, yeah, J.G. Hertzler is obviously quite good. Yeah, and I don't think anyone misstepped. Uh, you know, uh, Odo and O'Brien were really good at acting like they couldn't act. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I gotta say, I think uh, in previous seasons, um, Avery Brooks playing a Klingon might have read a little overbroad. Um, but I don't think he crossed any <laughs> lines this time. Well, I mean, the only thing that crossed lines were the writing for his character, like picking fights with everybody there uh, during his super secret mission. It's like, what the hell's wrong? They should have had a scene with Worf, like, dude, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> Dial it back a notch. We get it. You look like a Klingon, you know? Um, yeah, I'm <coughs> trying to think, is there any other acting notes? Um, I love Robert O'Reilly. I love Mark Alamo. Alamo. Um, yeah, no, no real, uh, no, I enjoy, I enjoyed the Mark Alimo stuff a lot. Um, hmm. you know, production wise, I gotta say, uh, I'm kind of, the venue was really small and the gadgets were kind of dumb looking. Uh, a lot of the space scenes had that sort of copy and paste feel to them where it looked like a bunch of repetitions of images of ships, but that they weren't really inhabiting space. Uh, the planet looked okay. I saw some weird cloud stuff that was like, you know, I don't know, computer, computery looking stuff. Um, I like the orbiting platforms. Those look cool. Uh, I, like I don't the, know what else. What like else? Production-wise, the makeup looked great. The makeup I mean, looked good. I like the statues. I like the jail cell. Um, 
I, in the end, I'm happy calling it a three. I think there was some good stuff, but there was some, I agree, a lot of the space stuff felt like they were just reusing shots in a way that didn't feel like a new cohesive piece. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the balance, I, I think this is a three. Um, it's certainly not a bad episode by any stretch. I'm entertained for, you know, 43 minutes without question. Uh, there are things that are good and very good, but it doesn't really, like, I think a tighter plot, um, with the Gowron Changeling issue would have really picked this up and been like a redemption or a way of the warrior, which we gave force to because those were entertaining, really sharp, sharply drawn, um, political thrillers. So, yeah, I think this this lacks a little on that front, but not in a way that makes it... I don't think a two is, uh, you know, even on the table. Oh, no, I agree with that. Uh, you know, the acting is too consistently good, you know, and the overall uh, sort of twist and turn of the story is, you know, at its core entertaining. Uh, in, in some ways, this episode has to do a lot of sort of narrative uh, sweeping, you know, like it's like, okay, now it's time to set the stage. And in some ways that's not terribly interesting. You know, uh, the setup was just so creaky uh, narratively speaking. Yeah. I, I will say, I like that the episode resolved the issue of um, Galron's changelingness in a way that didn't neutralize it as a story element. Like we, we we didn't make the next um uh you know however much of this ep- of this of the season oh will they find out will they not find out what's going on um they did it in the first episode but not in a way that nullifies it as as story element yeah yeah so you know I think it's a three also I think it's solidly entertaining a bit head scratching in spots uh you know there's not much of a science fiction story um you know it's all pretty much uh you know who done it who who's the bad guy you know sort of mystery slash thriller i think there could have been a much sharper thriller element you know you you mentioned the scene where the martok changeling uh confronts o'brien and it, that kind of scene does have tension, and I feel like there could have been more of those kinds of scenes. It's like these guys should have stuck out, you know, and there's a lot of drama that can be uh, mined in that, that they stick out, you know. Uh, there could have been, yeah. I, I almost could have been persuaded that a four was a possibility had they not just killed the changeling at the end too, you know, had it been left ambiguous, it's like Gowron's not the changeling, but who is, you know, I don't know. It's curiously unsatisfying yet. Obviously, uh, obviously competent, (laughs) 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 which I mean, uh, a three can be a lot of things. A three can be, you know, a great episode that failed at one or two things. This is not a great episode. This was not destined for greatness. But it's a good you know? episode, I think. Yeah. But she, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like there totally, are three totally. episodes that are threes because they failed at one thing. Yeah. You know, it's like this was never going to be a great episode. You know, 
they put it together to do certain things for the rest of the season, and it did those things. Um, but it was it was somewhat creaky in doing so. Um, that's about all I have to say about it. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, there's only so many ways to say good effort, people. Um, yeah, I I'm excited about season five. I'm looking forward to watching a lot of the episodes. The next one coming up, uh, the ship is is pretty good. Um, so yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, I think, uh, that's a six for Apocalypse Rising from the two of us, and we will be back for, uh, the next episode. Yep. Live long and prosper. Have a good night.